Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Florida Basketball Hour. I'm Neil Blackman. We took a uh, two-week hiatus, I guess, in the in the sense that we wanted to get an idea of what Florida looked like in the first three games, kind of a holistic view instead of the election night debacle against Florida State. So this show, um, I'm joined by Eric Fawcett of Gator Country, and we will talk about Florida's first three games and preview the uh, opening game in Atlantis, which we think is a really important game for this basketball team, um, a chance to get a nice resume win and a chance to have an opportunity at two great resume wins um, in the in the semifinal and then either the third-place game or the final in Atlantis. Uh, so thanks for listening. If you could subscribe to us on either iTunes or Spotify, Stitcher, any of the various uh, mediums that we're located on, and and give us a ranking. We'd really appreciate it as we try to grow our audience and and you know give respect to this program that that has been uh, so important to us um, and important to a lot of people and is is a national powerhouse that sometimes doesn't really get the credit it deserves. And, and hopefully they'll play like that down at uh, the Battle of Atlantis. So. Um, Thanks for listening and, and tuning into the show. We hope you enjoy. Uh, Florida's going to go to the Bahamas 2-1. Um, a lot better. Why don't we just start with – I'm one of these – let's start with something positive, people. Sure. So, so uh it looks like I think they're going to leave having played their best game, at least. Um, I, I like the way that they played against LaSalle. Um, the, the ability to attack the basket, uh, obviously, and, and to attack the basket against a team that, that has capable bigs. Uh, and then the continued uh, good play of Andrew Nimhard, who, you know, is playing about 30 minutes a game, which I think is a team high. Um, but another game where, you know, his assists were high and his turnovers were low. Yeah, that seems to be the book on him. And, uh, it, it shows some really responsible guard play and someone that, uh, is a lot more, uh, experienced looking out there than you'd expect from a guy that was obviously, um, in the 2019 class and, and reclassified. So that's been really good to see. I think he's, uh, struggled with a few things defensively, just like any, uh, any freshman would, especially one that doesn't have kind of elite athleticism. Um, but overall, he's he's been pretty good and um, has shot the ball decently when he's uh, decided to put it up. And um, overall, pretty encouraging. And I think that that minutes total kind of <laughs> says everything you need to know about the trust he has with Coach White. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. I think um, it, w- one thing that kind of stands out is the minutes. You know, I mean – almost seven more minutes at least in the first three games and the next closest player who which is Kayvon Allen who is about 23 and a half minutes um let's talk a bit of a little bit about Kayvon I mean really good against Charleston Southern but obviously just a miserable opening night performance and you know kind of quiet against uh LaSalle's field goal percentage is still not where we wanted to, not where we wanted to be, or where we're used to it being. I mean, what have you seen uh, in watching Allen in the first three games? Well, unfortunately, I think we're just seeing 
um, kind of the the problems he's had in his game throughout his career so far, and we just haven't seen the good stuff yet. So uh, I wrote an article go- kind of going into the year, uh, breaking down a lot of his play um, from the la- from last season and kind of his career on the to- on the whole, just to see like, hey, why is this guy never kind of reached the uh, the heights many people thought after his freshman year? And I would say the two, if I had to um, boil that down to uh, uh, to something really quick here, the, his two biggest problems were. He didn't finish at the rim well. He didn't, and he didn't get to the rim well. And he also didn't play well in transition. And that's something that uh, might surprise some people because you see the way he's built, his jumping ability. And uh, you might think, hey, there's a guy you could take some contact or there's a guy who could finish in transition. And um, unfortunately, he just hasn't been very good there. And that's left him to just be a jump shooter. And, you know, he's only really had one good jump shooting season. And even then he was at like 37%. So it's not like he was... Um, setting the world on fire from there. So um, you look right now, he, he hasn't finished well in transition. He's 37%. Um, he only has one shot at the rim so far this year. Um, he has, uh, uh, he's shooting 25% on spot ups. Uh, just from, uh, from an offensive standpoint, there's, uh, there's just really not anything there right now. And um, hopefully we see that improve. Um, I, if he can at least be a, be a guy who can catch and shoot first, that would be a, uh, that would obviously be really helpful, but um, right. Yeah. Just uh, cause I'm not sure at this point in our, in his career, it's, it's kind of realistic to think, Oh, suddenly he'll be a guy who can uh, beat a guy off the bounce, take some contact and finish at the rim. Um, cause uh, I think if we've maybe seen, uh, seen it to this point in his career, um, I'm not sure we'll see anything more there. What was the most promising thing about the performance against? now for you um well I, I would say just generally speaking the way that they did shoot the ball pretty efficiently um they you know shooting the ball over 50 percent uh getting shots towards the rim um Kavarius Hayes going uh going four for four on post-ups <laughs> and I think he was five for five from the field uh, just to get his confidence up uh that was pretty encouraging um but I would just say getting offense towards the rim and that would be the uh that would be the thing most encouraging for me Anything you saw that, that concerned you? I mean, for me, it was – I felt like – and they did this a little last year in games that they were kind of cruising in, but they didn't finish that well. The last five minutes were kind of sloppy, and some of it's about rotations, but some of that stuff you should still – you know, when those guys get the chance to play – the expectation has to be that they'll execute. Yeah, the they definitely kind of let things slip at the end. I, I would probably chalk that a little more up to uh, to rotation than anything else. But like you said, they did let some leads slip last year. So uh, to see that trend last year and then to see it even in a game like against LaSalle, it is a little bit concerning. But um, any even the way they, uh, they pressed and got like five quick points at the end off pressing the walk-ons uh, made the score look closer than it could have been. Um, right. uh, yeah, I, I don't know if I saw the, uh, it, you know, it got a little bit sloppy, but um, I, I think I'll chalk that up mostly to rotations. But um, <laughs> yeah, like you said, there it was it was a little bit of an issue last year. So uh, maybe I shouldn't be ignoring it. Um, it rotation wise, because I think this is a kind of an interesting, an interesting number that I looked at was Florida has one. Two, yeah, seven. I was just making sure. I'm, I'm bad at counting. Uh, <laughs> Florida has seven players that have played over 50 minutes on the season. So you got seven guys that are at at least 17 minutes a game. Um, 
but but it's even more than that because there's nine guys that are averaging over 10 minutes a game. So that That's kind of what we expected, but some of the minutes are surprising, like Keontae Johnson being fourth on the team in minutes. Um, any of that surprise you earlier, you think? Um, I would say I'm probably surprised by uh, the, the kind of the most surprising thing has been um, probably Okaru not getting a ton of minutes. Um, I probably thought he was going to get more minutes and that was going to leave less minutes for, for Noah Locke, for sure. I thought Noah Locke was going to have a little bit of a tough time getting in, even though I love Noah Locke's game. It's just that's a crowded position. And um, obviously, I, I didn't think DeAndre Ballard would be getting this many minutes. And um, <laughs> I think the other thing, too, is it feels like Keontae Johnson is getting minutes that um, we probably would have expected to go to Jalen Hudson and Keith Stone. And obviously, right. some of that is Keith Stone getting injured the other day against LaSalle but also just um, not being super effective. And uh, so, so the minutes are all totally different than what I expected. Um, Cause uh, you know, I thought that I thought Kayvon Allen would be at 32, 33 minutes a game. And I thought, um, you know, that would cut away from some of the young guys and I thought Okara would be playing. And so it, it is a lot different for sure. But um, Okaru, I'm a little bit surprised um, that he's been off to a slow start, um, but also not really surprised. I wrote an article. He was another guy that I really broke down his, uh, his game from last year. And um, I kind of concluded that uh, I, I kind of thought his really good shooting was a little bit of an anomaly and I, I didn't really expect it to keep up. And Michael Carr has already become a little bit of a, a cult favorite amongst fans. And uh, some people were not very happy about me suggesting that I didn't think he was you know, going to continue to be a 40% three-point shooter and uh, maybe he was a little limited in some ways. So, so maybe I'm not totally surprised, um, but I thought maybe uh, – maybe his defense would kind of command him more minutes. But the thing is that the defense has been great for this team. Um, it's the offense that hasn't been so good. And I think that that has led uh, coach white to putting the best players on the floor in terms of offense, at least uh, who he thinks he can get the most out of offensively. And that has left Okaru a little bit out of the shuffle. What do you think about the, the stone injury, anything to be concerned about? I mean, it's kind of quiet on that front. Yeah. I, I, I was asking around, um, kind of got the general, uh, you know, we'll take it uh, day by day, but uh, generally heard it was not a big deal. It's kind of nice that they get a big break going into bat- the battle for Atlantis. Hopefully that, um, that yeah, that week off is, is good. Um, but uh, yeah, that would be, though he hasn't been, he hasn't had a great start. Um, uh, he's, that would obviously be a huge loss. And I think he had a couple really good moments against LaSalle. He had a, a great take um, off the dribble with a left-handed layup. I thought it was super nice. And, um, I, he, he's, he was such a consistent shooter last year that I think that'll come back. I, I, I really would be shocked if it didn't. So I hope he's good to go. Yeah. I mean, that was one thing I'd point out to, to listeners that are, were kind of frustrated with one thing I saw in the LaSalle game was Florida ran a lot of nice offense. Actually. Um, you saw at least two of their inbound plays. You had really beautiful little circle cuts, um, that I think one of them ended up with a basket and the other one. Uh, they drew a foul, um, but but it, Mike White's inbound plays have been pretty good consistently. There, but there were some other nice actions that I thought Florida ran, and sometimes they just missed shots. Um, like Jalen Hudson, I don't think he's going to shoot forty four percent on, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> what's the word I'm looking for? Forty four percent on which. <laughs> Well, he's yeah, forty four point eight expected field goal percentage is. Kind oh, of, okay. That seems a little lower than than 
it certainly is lower than he was last year on the season. I don't. I think his his shooting numbers are going to improve, even if defenses are keying on him. As much as Kayvon Allen struggled last year, I don't think he's going to stay at 38.9, which is where he's at right now uh, in that particular number. So I do think Florida, there's room for them to shoot the ball better. Um, you know, and so so I think that's kind of something that, that maybe people should feel a little bit encouraged by, is that I don't think that this Florida team has really hit on all cylinders 40 minutes in a game on offense. Uh, no, I, I don't think so. And um, I just uh, just one thing about uh, about Kayvon Allen. Um, last year, he finished at thirty six point one percent from the field. Um, oh. And I don't want to sound like I'm just continuing to bash Kayvon Allen, but uh, I just honestly think that um, the expectations of him offensively are not anywhere near what his stats back up. And as a guy that's played a ton of games and a ton of minutes, um, I feel like his sample size is, is large enough that um, there should be something that could be a uh, can be looked on from the fact that he is uh, not really a, a career high uh, field goal percentage guy or three point percentage guy, but but anyways, like you said, um, he's uh, there's there's a whole lot of guys that have not uh, not um, not hit their uh, hit their stride yet when it comes to shooting the basketball. And if Florida's offense can um, get efficient at getting shots towards the rim, and then their three point shooting comes, um, well, then you're uh, you're probably a lot better offensive team than you were last year. Sorry, his effective field goal percentage is 30. Oh, effective, right, got you. Yeah, last year it was 46. So he's shooting 8% worse on effective field goal percentage. Like, even if he shoots 36%, I don't think he's going to shoot 38% on effective field goal percentage. Unless he's just not going to hit any three-pointers this year, which... <laughs> he should, should hit some, yeah. <laughs> seems a little unlikely for Kayvon Allen. Um I guess with, let's circle back to Florida State a little because for me, there, there's two things that that I think are are troubling. Forget the losing streak because, you know, every season is different. Every game is different. But one was the response of the team after they got six or seven points behind. Like there, there didn't seem to be a lot of urgency to it's hard to imagine you could be flat on opening night, but Florida looked very flat. Um, emotionally, there was bad body language. It was very strange. Uh, and then the second thing for me is I just don't know why this was supposed to be something that was corrected, and maybe it will be down the road, but Florida continues to be bothered by Florida State's length and teams that, that have that kind of length, especially that can get out and contest on the perimeter. And they, I thought they did a nice job of extending their defense and, and making life difficult on Andrew Nimhard. I mean, I guess the question I'm asking is why is it so hard for Florida to play Florida state? And were you concerned about what you saw from the team emotionally? Well, I think that uh, the reason Florida's always had trouble with them is that uh, Florida in the last few, few years is just that Florida has not had a lot of guys that are, are great off the dribble, um, great one-on-one kind of self-creation players. And when you're playing a team like Florida state, um, they're going to deny ball reversal, so they're not going to make it easy to run offense. And they're going to say, hey, you need to make a play one-on-one to make an off- make your offense go. And the thing is, their they're one-on-one defenders probably really elite there, too. And you look at Florida these past years, um, they haven't had a lot of guys that were great one-on-one. Um, Chris Chioza, uh, you know, great point guard, great leader, not a great one-on-one player. Uh, he really struggled against Florida State. Same thing with kind of Casey Hill. Um, you look at even when... 
uh, with, with Devin Robinson and Canyon Bear. You look at some of the better offensive players of the last few years, and they, they're, they're not great one-on-one players. And we saw that again, too. Andrew Nemhart, not a guy who could, uh, once every pass was denied from him and he had to make a play one-on-one, that's just not really in his skill set. Um, and we just we kind of saw that from um, from some different opponents that we uh, that Florida's had trouble with the last couple of years. Um, thinking a few years back when um, when South Carolina really had their number, they do the same thing, making ball reversal really difficult. And then last year, um, last year we saw it with Clemson in that kind of rush, uh, kind of run when uh, Florida lost a bunch of games in a row, and it kind of the last one of those was was Clemson really making ball movement difficult. And um, yeah, I think that that's kind of a that's kind of the more technical problem. Um, and you're not going to see that from a whole lot of teams that are going to be able to just so out athlete you to the point of, of that being a problem. Um, and in terms of the, um, the emotional response, I feel like that's just a pretty tough one to quantify. Like you said, yeah. the body language, uh, not super encouraging. Um, and I think when you've got a lot of guys that are quiet personalities, like a Kayvon Allen and, and Keith Stone, um, you're not going to get that kind of fire as much. And I know some people have really looked at uh, at Mike White there and said, you know, why aren't you taking a technical to fire up your guys or screaming at the guys in the nose to nose? And um, I know some people have pointed to Mike White for that. And um, I, I think he knows his guys and, and how they're wired and knows kind of what will push their buttons. And, and I, I think that the fact that he doesn't do that shows that that is not what's going to isn't what's going to push their buttons. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I was going to ask you as well, cause this is something we, we kind of talked about a little bit on Twitter and at least saw, um, is there any fault, um, or to what extent do you put fault on, on Mike White for a performance like that on opening night? Well, that, that's what bothered me. I think was, it wasn't, we know that it's a difficult basketball matchup. Georgia is another team that at least under Mark Fox, Tom Crean's defenses are a little different. Uh, they hedge a lot more than Mark Fox ever wanted to, but, but yeah, I mean, Georgia would, would certainly deny ball reversals. Like it wasn't just Yante Maiden that Florida had trouble. <laughs> totally. Florida was incredibly inefficient offensively when, when they lost to Georgia twice. And the, 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 there was a lot of reasons for that, but I don't want to get off track. I mean, I think what bothered me was, and this is one thing I've been evaluating in the first three games. I actually saw it in one moment in the LaSalle game in the first half the other night. I think Mike is still a young coach where he doesn't necessarily, and maybe he never will. Maybe this is just the way he evaluates timeouts. And we all kind of got used to watching a Billy Donovan. Tom Izzo is another coach that does this. They're sort of masters of the before the, the deluge timeout mm. where, you know, a, an opponent has two good possessions. Florida has a bad possession. Donovan used to love to take a timeout after the second basket. And you'd be like, hey, maybe that's a premature timeout. You know, it's just one stretch where it's four to nothing. But you kind of see something where it's getting discombobulated. And I think Mike sometimes waits till things are real sideways to use his timeouts. Didn't use one in the opening half against Florida State. They let that that first half lead slip away, right? Or, or not lead, but um, it was a tight game. It was 21-20. Right. And then all of a sudden, it's, it's stretched in that last four-minute segment. I would have loved to see him use a timeout there and just kind of try to calm the team down. Um, and I thought it was odd that they didn't do so. And Mike doesn't necessarily do that. I can kind of get doing that, not doing that at home against LaSalle. Um, although it was a perfect example of where Donovan might've LaSalle got a layup, a, a Pookie Powell layup. 
Florida took a bad early in the shot clock three-pointer. Miss, LaSalle comes down. They get a fast bucket underneath. And I was kind of like, you know, that wasn't a very good segment. Um, and then Florida came down and scored. Now, in the very next possession, Noah Locke, I think, dribbled off his foot out of bounds. But <laughs> you, you're going to have some of that, right? They don't need to take timeouts when that happens. But I think I'd like to see him use timeouts better. The other thing uh, for me was – I'm and, and maybe this is just how I coach. I'm a big advocate of when, when you're getting rolled like that uh, and you're not used to it, it's it's time to try stuff. You know, it's like almost like Florida stuck with their basic defenses. Like there wasn't like, well, let's try 1-3-1 one, one and see if that works. Well, let's try 2-3 and see if that works. You know what I mean? So I think I, – I do. I think there's a little bit of a lack of urgency on Florida's bench and, you know – I think White admitted that in the post game. He's pretty candid with the media, which is one reason that a lot of us like him so much. But he said he was shell shocked, um, and I think it's his job not to be right. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's um, yeah. When when a player gets shell shocked, you might want to look at the coach to um, uh, to kind of settle that down. But at the same time, I do really appreciate that honesty because we we know that regardless of the face a coach puts on, they get shell shocked too. And um, I think that probably most coaches are you go in with a game plan and you think it's going to go this way. And um, 90 seconds into a basketball game, when you realize it's not going to go that way, um, I I think lots of coaches get shell shocked and then just don't admit it. So um, I I don't, yeah, I kind of, I thought that was some good honesty from him, but um, it's kind of interesting too, in terms of what you're talking about, about um, kind of zone defenses changing looks like that. Um, We saw Florida last season and actually the year before, um, they they played like man all throughout the um, uh, the non conference portion, and then it came to conference, and they started mixing and things like that. And a little bit of me wonders if they are intentionally trying to trying to hide things before it gets to conference play. Um, right. But I mean, I, I also think you've got to win games kind of now because uh, a game on the road against Florida State, uh, the first game of the season, just the way that they the NCAA tournament committee values. Uh, evaluates resumes that game is as, as important as um, something in conference so I, I think I'm not really a big fan of um, holding anything back I know it's also early in the year and maybe that hasn't been installed yet but uh, yeah we d- we definitely when things started to go sour we saw some different lineup changes but we didn't really see any uh, any noticeable tactical lineups or sorry, tactical changes and um, yeah maybe you would have liked to see some change there you've written about uh, DeAndre Boward, <laughs> more than you probably imagined you would in the last uh, month or so. I mean, what what did you what have you seen that's different? I know I tweeted out something that one one thing I saw was in the Charleston Southern game where he uh, he uh, you know he he drives and instead of taking a contested seventeen foot jump shot because um, he did leave his feet, <laughs> he then <laughs> he then passes the ball to an open man for a layup. Uh, and I was like, okay. Um, you know, <laughs> he does see other things on the floor. And I hate to be like that reductionist about it, but at times last year I watched and I wondered if he really saw things that were going on around him. Right. Well, and even some people, cause I, I was kind of one of the first ones to admit, I was tweeting out some video of him and I was like, Oh, this is great. And I'm, I'm starting to come around on DeAndre Ballard. And a couple of people were like, see, I told you, you were wrong. And I kind of go back to like, and we talked about it on this podcast, 
like statistically speaking, you could make a very, it's very easy to make an argument that he was the worst shooter in college basketball last year with um, his, <laughs> the, the 5% he was shooting on, on, uh, on jump shots and taking so many, uh, like there's things like that, that I'm like, I'm, I wasn't just trying to be a hater. Cause I saw something I didn't like in his stroke. I mean, the, the stats just, um, uh, yeah, the, there were some pretty ugly stats. So anyways, point being, um, <laughs> I thought that I've seen him get a little bit better with shot selection. He's still taking a few tough ones, but he's looking better. And I also thought that um, he's looking a lot more to get to the rim. And I think that kind of what we were talking about with um, talking about the struggles with Florida state, how Florida doesn't have a lot of guys who can really create one-on-one he's uh, yeah, he's really been able to score one-on-one and and he looks to catch the ball on the wing and catch the ball in triple threat and make a move and get to the rim. And I think he just brings, um, just brings a lot more to the offense that way than when he was trying to be a jump shooter and um, a Jalen Hudson off the bench kind of uh, create your own sh- jump shot. Um, if he keeps kind of looking to get to the hoop, I think he'll be a better player for um, from a personal standpoint and really help the offense. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's uh, it's kind of a remarkable if, – if it's going to be something that stays on that trend line, it's – it's kind of a remarkable development for Florida, especially because out of high school, he was kind of a player Florida lacked, like a player, a player that could kind of create off the bounce. Um, he's so explosive going to the basket that it was a real mystery why he would decide to pull up and take 19 foot jump shots. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, and, and even, even in little moments in the Florida state, Florida's down 30, but like he's, taking Trey Mann to the basket or, you know, an off the glass, you know, runner or that kind of stuff. You're kind of like, okay, you know, at least somebody's attacking the basket. He had two straight possessions late where he drove and was fouled. So uh, it's an interesting development, especially because I do expect Stone to kind of provide more, like we saw glimpses of it in the in the LaSalle game. Right. And just another quick thing. I've got an article for Gator Country that – I'm going to finish up right after this podcast, but it's a little bit of um, uh, just kind of small sample size stats from three games of the season so far. And one of them is that DeAndre Ballard is yet to miss a shot at the rim. He is six for six. So um, we're seeing a a pretty efficient uh, guy finishing at the rim, but um, yeah, Keith Stone, um, I am expecting to provide a little bit, a little bit more, but um, he's another guy that if you look at his numbers, uh, everything for him has been as a spot up catch and shoot guy. So I think he's kind of a guy that goes with the offense kind of if that makes sense I think if the offense is flowing really well he's going to be the beneficiary of uh of an open jump shot that he can drill at a high percentage like we saw last year but if the offense is not looking very good he's not going to be a guy that's going to drag them out of an out of uh an offensive drought he's just not really built that way as uh, as an initiator so um for that reason I'm like I'm a little bit uh, you know if the, if everything around him gets better he's going to get a lot better and everything will kind of uh, uh, build up positively like that. But um, if the offense isn't running and and he um, becomes kind of a focal point of the offense, I'm not really sure that's what your best offense is. That's fair. I think, Um, I think, I think that's a good, the, the wait and see what the flow of Florida's offense is. And then the, the Ballard statistic as to his, his field goal, is a pretty nice transition to Oklahoma because Christian James uh, right now is ridiculous. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's a senior guard for, for Oklahoma, 6'4 guard out of Texas. Actually, a pretty heavily recruited player. Um, nearly went to LSU, and I think they signed the kid from Orlando um, instead. So he, he was no longer a take for them and ends up going to Oklahoma. His effective field goal percentage right now is 95%. Which is, I don't even know how that's humanly possible, even in only two basketball games. Um, that's pretty ridiculous. They're going to play Wofford um, Sunday, and we'll get a, we'll get to learn a little bit more about Oklahoma, I think. But right now, Christian James is definitely the, the straw that serves the drink. 27 points a game, 35 minutes a game. He's shooting 47% from beyond the arc. That's the only place he misses because um, he's shooting 100% from uh, two. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good number. Um, I I also saw too. Wofford is also playing. Wofford is also playing Stanford tonight. So uh, we'll actually get a look at another kind of potential battle for Atlantis um, uh, opponents. So and Wofford's a good team. So I'm actually looking forward to seeing uh, to seeing Oklahoma play them to kind of see what Oklahoma's like. Because uh, yeah, Oklahoma to this point, um, Rio Grande Valley and uh, University of Texas San Antonio. So uh, yeah, not, uh, not yeah, not not a great. Uh, Great sample yet, but they are playing super fast. Um, I see that they're sixth in tempo on Ken Palm. Their average uh, possession length is 22 seconds. So, uh, yeah, they're, uh, they're playing a lot faster than, um, uh, than I would kind of expect, to be honest. Um, I know they played really fast last year, but I thought that was kind of the uh, uh, mostly the Trey Young effect. So um, that'll be a really interesting um, really interesting to see who can dictate the pace when Florida plays them because you know Oklahoma's going to want to get up and down, and you know Florida – um, likes to do that as well and, and transition has been the best offense for Florida so far as they figured out some half court things and um, yeah just uh, who wins the battle of tempo there I think will be interesting yeah they have really fast speedy guards so it's kind of their, their guards I, I know and I know James is 6'4 so he's more of a prototype guard but they're a lot of their other guards profile much smaller they do have a freshman Jamal Bienemy. his father was a uh, national championship winning running back in Colorado Oh, um, interesting. Yeah, Eric Bieniemy, um, and he's he plays about eighteen minutes a game, and is a little bit bigger than than the other guards as well. Jamal Bieniemy is six four, but their other guards are Aaron Kaliks, who's five eleven, Miles Reynolds, who they list as six two, but that's like Florida listing Chris Chioza at six one his freshman year. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just not true. Uh, and then their big is their best big is Brady Manick, who is kind of, I don't know, he's kind of a, he's he's a rail. Um, he's six. He's uh, he only weighs about two hundred five pounds, but he's super athletic. He's a real good leaper, and um, you know, like we said, some of it has to do with the opponent. But right now, he's averaging a double double a game. So, um, they they can kind of they've got multiple ways that they can attack you, but they do like. They like to go fast because if you have an athletic, you know, vertical leaper like Manic, sometimes he can clean up a lot of stuff because of his ability to run, get down the floor. Kavarius Hayes actually probably matches up pretty well with him. I was going to say that's going to be an awesome matchup because uh, the way that Kavarius Hayes runs the floor is is really interesting. And um, I will uh, I will have to admit I have not watched Oklahoma play this uh, this year because I do not want to watch them play University of Texas at San Antonio or University of Texas at Rio Grande Valley, but. Um, <laughs> Obviously, Brady Manick last year was kind of the uh, the main kind of corner three ball spacer for Trey Young, 
And um, I'm curious to see if that's kind of the way he's, he's still playing now that he's a sophomore and, and doesn't have Trey Young on the floor. Um, yeah. But if he wants, if he wants to uh, space things out and go out into space, uh, I, I know that Kavarius Hayes is, is really good guarding, guarding out there and that'll be really good. Um, what'll be interesting though is uh, Kavarius Hayes, who's been uh, just an awesome shot blocker as we you know would expect from him being an awesome shot blocker last year. Um, if, if Brady Manick can, uh, can keep Kavarius Hayes out of the paint, then suddenly those Christian James uh, drives are going to be a lot, uh, a lot easier for them. So uh, how Florida can kind of keep, uh, keep, keep him in front of them and uh, maybe keep Kavarius Hayes in a, in a help side position so he can be there to clean up any, any dribble penetration. Uh, that'll be interesting. I think and I, I, one thing I'd tell people to look for is, is Mike White talked about after the Florida State game that they want to try to get. I've got to do a better job of getting Kayvon Allen in good spots, he said. And Christian James isn't really a top-level defender despite his size. Um, Aaron Cleeks is a guy who's 5'11", who defends a lot like Chris Chioza. He, he's probably a better defensive guard. I'd look for Florida to maybe, you know, let Andrew Nimhart attack Christian James and see if that dribble penetration can create some opportunities for Kayvon Allen. Well, and just um, if, if Florida starts their same five which uh, that they have already – which uh, could be uh, could be different, to be honest, just the way that that starting five is played. But um, <laughs> you look at the wings of Kayvon Allen and Jalen Hudson. Um, some one of them is going to have a good matchup because right. um, you they've got Miles Reynolds who's six foot three, and then Christian James who's six foot four. Those are their those are their two wings. So, um, and like you said, um, Christian James probably not uh, the best perimeter defender. Um, I'm not uh, I'm not really familiar with Miles Reynolds to be honest, but at six three and one seventy five, you'd think. Um, uh, yeah, you think one of those two wings, Jalen Hudson or Kayvon Allen, is going to have a favorable matchup to go to work. And if uh, if one or both of them can get going, uh, that would be really great to uh, to move on in the tournament as well as um, going forward for the team. Definitely. So uh, that's kind of that's kind of where we're at on this. I, we we can talk about the rest of the field, and depending on Eric's schedule, I've got a couple people that that are going to come on Florida basketball hour and, and be ready to talk uh, Turkey and, uh, and either Stanford or Wisconsin. But uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, what would be a good Atlantis for you? Because I don't want to say that Florida state sort of redefined expectations on the season. I, I would never say that about one game or one bad performance. And if you, if you think about it this way, Florida had a terrible performance against FSU last year and, and still was basically, you know, a basket here or there, and maybe a call or two uh, in a road game from being in the Sweet 16 again. So I don't, I, I just caution people to draw too many conclusions about losing in the, in the tuck, a place where Florida State plays well. Um, but I do think Atlantis, it's important for, for Florida to go and get two wins, no matter the combination of how they get them. Yeah, two, two wins is probably the, uh, uh, two ways. I, I'm not sure actually. I just feel like, okay, so. Here's my thing. So I think that I think Wisconsin's going to beat uh, going to beat Stanford, and I think probably fairly handily. I don't think Stanford is is very good this year. And my my biggest fear, I guess, for Florida would be if they were to lose the opening game to Oklahoma, um, play Stanford, and then end up playing like Dayton or or Middle Tennessee, and not to be and hopefully winning that one. But but even then, if they if they finish the the tournament with with two wins over Stanford and Dayton, um, th- those are obviously good on a neutral site. But um, I, I feel like they just it almost feels like they skipped out on the tournament. It feels yeah, like yeah, they no- they may it feels like they missed the 
it feels like they missed the boat. Um, so yeah, I, I honestly Florida feel like to, Florida needs to win the first game. Florida yeah, that that's what I'm getting at. If Florida wins their first game, that to me is that would be like that. That is the biggest thing. If Florida were to win the next, or sorry, to lose the next one after winning game one, um, obviously not uh, not great. But um, I really think Florida needs to win this first one to get a win over Oklahoma to then have. Um, if you, then if you lose to a Wisconsin, um, whatever it is, what it is. And, um, and then I, I'd have to go see who they play after that. But, um, if you, if they end the tournament with a win or sorry, with a loss to Oklahoma on a neutral site, followed by like a win over Stanford and a win over Dayton, to me, that's still not a great tournament, unfortunately, two and one. So, uh, it's, I mean, it still would be okay. And I'm sure someone who knows the, uh, the NET system or the net or whatever could tell me why why I'm wrong and just getting those two neutral site wins over, you know, top 80 Ken Palm teams are going to be still really good. Um, yeah, I'm sure it's really good, but I, I really think this first one's important. Yeah. I mean, and that, this is what I'll say about it because I've got the bracket up now. Um, Florida would either have two opportunities. If they win the first game, they're guaranteed an opportunity to play either Butler or Virginia in all likelihood. Um, now, now maybe Dayton beats Butler, right? That's, that's possible. But the way that that third consolation game sets up, it's the loser of the two semifinals. So that means, you know, you get a shot either at UVA, which is extraordinarily valuable for Andrew Nimmar, um, or you get a shot at Butler, and that's great because you're probably going to, you know, you get a chance to look at what they're going to do when they come to Gainesville. <laughs> Yeah, I, I would love to play Virginia. I think that's uh, that'd be awesome, and I think Virginia is incredible this year. Um, but I also do think it'd be quite fun if we ended up playing Butler twice this season, um, and of course they're playing them next year as well, and uh, kind of get a little mini rivalry going there. And, and I do think Butler's really good uh, this year too. So um, yeah, just the more you talk about it, the more I yeah, I just really think this opening game uh, is the is really going to be more important um, than their second game, even um, regardless of uh, on which side of the bracket it would be on. Well, I agree. And Eric, if I don't uh, get to talk to you, happy, uh, have a happy Thanksgiving. If you're celebrating American Thanksgiving, if you're not, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's uh, it's funny. So yeah, here in Canada, we've got our Thanksgiving in October, um, which is actually kind of good because it means that I take in all these sports of American uh, Thanksgiving without having any of the family obligations. So um, I definitely acknowledge it in the sense that I can um, watch all the college basketball tournaments. Um, uh, sprinkle in some football in between college basketball, and I don't need to. Uh, I don't need to be uh, at some family gathering or or passed out from turkey. So it's. Uh, uh, I, I will be having a good time, but yes, um, I'm definitely wishing a happy Thanksgiving to you and uh, and all the listeners. All right, everybody, uh, stay tuned to uh, to to our uh, podcast and subscribe if you can on either uh, Apple, iTunes, or on Spotify. Um, a variety of, of places you can you can follow us at, at Florida BB Hour, and um, we'll tweet out the names of the different services that you subscribe to. We'd really appreciate it if you would subscribe and give us a rating. But everybody uh, from all of us, um, happy Thanksgiving.